everybody. You're listening to the Disciple Makers Podcast, brought to you by discipleship.org. And this is your host, Dave Stovall. In this episode, we've got Chris Seidman. He's the lead minister at the Branch Church. And he shares some personal anecdotes and stories to encourage us all to engage with spiritually lost people. He emphasizes the importance of being intentional and sharing the gospel with others. And one of the quotes that really stood out to me in this episode was, he said, the call to be about discipling is not so much a call to go to a certain location as it is to live with a certain intention. I love that and I 100% wholeheartedly agree. Let's listen to Chris as he pushes us forward in our thinking about being intentional and discipling lost people. Here we go. I uh, serve with a church in Dallas called The Branch. I was born and raised in Austin, and I spent summers in high school working at my grandfather's ranch about 30 minutes southeast of Austin in a little place called Bastrop. Build barbed wire fence and dig up stumps and do all that kind of stuff. Uh, And one of the things that he taught me how to do was how to remove old stumps in pasture land. And uh, he would tell me stories of people trying to remove stubborn stumps. There was an old boy in Southeast Texas who had a stump removal business. And uh, every now and then he would knew that he needed more than a shovel or or uh, even uh, some kind of powerful electric leverage device to get the thing out. And he enjoyed working with explosives every now and then. And so uh, this... This uh, young guy uh, had a stubborn stump out uh, in the pasture, and he got carried away a little bit with dynamite one day and stuck way more than he needed at the base of that stump and lit those suckers. And I mean, this explosion went off, and this stump wasn't just, uh, just lifted a little bit out of the ground. It shot out of the grounds into like two different pieces, but one pretty big piece flew in the air and landed right on the windshield of this this old boy's truck. It bounced off the windshield, but cracked it and landed right there on the hood. And the old rancher that had hired him to do this, without missing a beat, said, son, that's not bad. With a little more practice, you're going to land that sucker in the truck bed every time. I love that. All that to say, I want you to know that all of us who are sharing, we're all disciples in process ourselves. We don't have this all figured out, not by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, I would remind you, since Matthew 28 is uh, the Great Commission, do you remember how it begins? In 2816, Jesus appears to the disciples. The first thing they do when they see him is they worship him because they're so overwhelmed at being in his presence in the flesh, the resurrected flesh. But then it says, they saw him, they worshiped him. But do you remember the next line? But some doubted. And so they're worshiping him, but some are still doubting. And he goes ahead and still gives them the great commission, even while some of them are in doubt. We all are disciples in process. Some were doubting, and he didn't allow their doubt to stop him from giving them the Great Commission. We're all disciples in process. Broken vessels are the only kind of vessels that Jesus has to work with. 
He doesn't have any other option. And so we're all in process. And so I, I tell you that just to let you know that we all have times in our life where we drift. In fact, sometime when you're walking through the book of Hebrews, you ought to pay attention to how many times the Hebrew writer speaks about them drifting. Be careful that you do not drift. Or he'll use language like, see to it, see to it, see to it. He's calling them to pay attention because we have a tendency to drift. There was a time many years ago when my wife and I were drifting, especially in this area of engaging people who were spiritually lost or wondering. My wife was uh, at home one day. We were raising we have three adult sons, but all three of our boys were much smaller. And them and about nine of their friends were home after school one day, and they're all running around the living room. My wife was very frustrated because she couldn't find her suburban keys and needed to leave. And uh, the search went on for a couple of hours. And my wife got to a point where she actually got online and was researching what is it going to cost to replace the suburban key since we don't have another. It'd be $250 because, you know, they got you when they got you when you need a key. And so she was very frustrated. And finally, just in a fit of frustration, she exclaimed out loud, 20 bucks to whoever can find my suburban keys. And instantly, it looked like uh, Jesus was cleansing the temple. I mean, coffee tables were being turned over and couch cushions were being thrown. And finally, one of the 10-year-old boys found the keys buried somewhere and he's holding them 20 bucks, 20 bucks. And they all are jumping up and down, excited for their friend who just won $20. And it was at that moment that my wife was in the corner watching all of this go on. And it was one of those moments where uh, the Lord speaks to you and you're not even looking for him to speak to you, but aren't you thankful he doesn't wait for your permission before he attempts to say something to you? And out of nowhere in her heart, it is like a, just a silent statement for the Lord. You were willing to spend as much as $250 to procure a lost key. You were willing to pay $20 as a reward for your key to be found. When is the last time you've spent that kind of effort searching for someone who's lost. And she didn't see that coming, but instantly for her, it, it intersected with her heart at a time in her life because she knew she had at least three boys in that house that she knew did not uh, belong to families that knew the Lord. She knew they had never heard the gospel. She knew that she knew that she knew. And she had been in a time in her life where she felt like what am I doing that's of any meaning or significance in the kingdom? Her world had gotten very small, she felt like. And at that moment, it's like there was a smelling salt that just went across the nostrils of her spiritual spirit that just woke her up and helped her to realize, hey, there are wandering people right underneath your nose. Lost people, if you will, right underneath your nose. She decided in her heart that day she was going to pray for opportunities to begin engaging in a deeper way the parents of those three boys along with those three boys. Well, today, 13 years later, one of those boys is interviewing for a ministry position in Lubbock, Texas at 25 years of age. Another boy is a youth sponsor at a church in Kansas City. And another boy is in his final year of playing college basketball on fire for Jesus involved in Fellowship of Christian Athletes. 
But for her and for me, we had a reawakening of being intentional with the people right underneath our nose. This even happened in the early church. Do you remember in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 where Jesus says uh, to uh, the, the, his first group, he says, hey, listen, um, uh, don't leave here. Go back to Jerusalem. Wait for the gift my father promised uh, and uh, wait for the gift that's been promised. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. All of you remember that, right? By the way, it's interesting. He had spent 40 days teaching them about the kingdom of heaven, Acts 1, 1 and 2 but they weren't ready yet. They were informed, but they weren't empowered. You know there's a difference between being informed and being empowered. You had the greatest teacher on earth teach you for 40 days about the kingdom of heaven, and you're still not ready to be a witness. Because there's a difference between information and empowerment. And so he says, go back to Jerusalem. So the spirit comes upon him. You know that early part of Acts chapter two. And what does Luke tell you about Acts chapter two? When the spirit comes upon him in Jerusalem, He begins telling you about the nationalities represented in Jerusalem that are there for Pentecost. Amen? He lists 14 different nationalities around Acts 2, maybe 7 through 12. 14 different nationalities that each hear the wonders of God in their own language. You know that story? Here's what I want you to see. In Acts 1, he says to them, don't leave Jerusalem. Wait for the gift. Going to come upon you. The gift will empower you to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Watch this. He says this in Acts 1. In Acts chapter 2, they're in Jerusalem. And what's happened? The ends of the earth have been brought to them. All these nations are in town for Pentecost. It's like the Lord is kickstarting the thing. And they're to start with people right underneath their nose. You heard Bobby mention this earlier when he talked about uh, some of the verbs there and the imperative. And you've also got that participle going. It says go in the English, but literally make disciples as you go along. The call to be about uh, discipling is not so much a call to go to a certain location as it is to live with a certain intention. And a lot of people think it's all about going to a particular location when ultimately it's about living with a particular intention right where you are, which is what this day is all about. But there were times when Jesus had to keep alerting people to be intentional right where they were. Do you remember in John chapter 4 when he says to those uh, disciples who who return uh, after maybe getting something to eat, he's been dialoguing with the woman at the well, and he says, um, oh, by the way, do you remember what John says in verse 27? It says they they were surprised to see him talking with a woman. And Jesus turns to him and Jesus says, Open your eyes. The fields are white unto harvest, around verse 35. So one of the things I would encourage all of us to do is to pray, Lord, open our eyes. Don't just open the eyes of the hearts of people we're attempting to share with, but open our eyes. Who are the people in our spheres of influence? You know, uh, in, uh, Jesus said in John chapter 5, he says, my father is always at work. I was so I was so convicted one day. I was visiting with a pastor who is um, on the East Coast, and he has a son that lives on the West Coast. And this pastor on the East Coast saying, I, I pray for my son who lives in the L.A. area every day that one weekend he'll wake up and go to a local church or that somebody, maybe he'll just cross paths with a believer because his son is wondering right now. 
And, and I just pray that when he runs into a believer, it's the kind of believer that has their antennas up with the love of Jesus. And it's the kind of church that their antennas are up with the love of Jesus when he walks in. And it suddenly just, it reminded me, you know what? Where I am in Dallas, every Sunday on either campus, there are people walking in there that probably someone else is praying for, and we're called to be an answer to that prayer. None of us are responsible for every letter in the alphabet of somebody's spiritual journey from A to Z. You're never starting from square one with somebody, ever. They're either in pain or they're in desperate or they, they might have somebody in their history that's praying for them. You're not in this alone. And not only that, but you have the Holy Spirit at work. Amen? And it's so helpful to remember we're not at this alone. In fact, the Great Commission is sandwiched between a great conviction and a great promise. The great conviction is all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. That's the conviction. If I think Jesus has all the authority in heaven and on earth, that's going to empower me to live with intention for verse 19. And then I've got the great promise in verse 20, and I'm with you always to the very end of the age. When you're in touch with the great conviction and the great promise, the great commission is no longer mission impossible. It's possible. So in my own life, I can think about times where I've been praying, God, open my eyes, help me to be intentional where I am. I'm thinking about a, a day, one Friday years ago, I'm on the 13th hole of a golf course in Dallas. I'm playing by myself and I run into a group in front of me. I, I, I'm playing faster than they are. And a gentleman in the group invites me to play with them. I didn't really want to, but I thought, you know, I've been praying, maybe. So I, I start walking with him down the fairway and instantly he starts talking and we hit it off. I ask him one question, what's preoccupying you these days? Which is a really benign question, but people are willing to talk about that. One thing leads to another. We begin to have a conversation that goes beyond the golf course that day. We then meet again next week and play golf. Then we start having a meal together. Dirk Moser becomes my friend. I begin giving him things to read both books and scripture, we begin meeting and talking about those things. Lo and behold, maybe a little less than a year later, I find myself in a baptistry on a weekday afternoon with Dirk Moser, and his wife is out there who's met us, who goes to a little bitty Presbyterian church who've been praying for him for years. Today, today, Dirk is on our prayer team receiving people up front and himself has a tremendous witness in his landscape business. I can think of another fellow by the name of, of Mark Pascal. Mark, I met at a gym in 2009, six foot four, really intimidating dude, great guy. But I started visiting with him and we were, we'd be on the, on the Stairmaster next to each other, equally miserable and would start talking, making conversation with one another. One day I asked him a question, what relationship is preoccupying the most, you the most in your life? And man, that just opened it up as he began to reflect on his divorce his adult children, that led to a further conversation at Starbucks. Then we started meeting. We started having coffee together. He eventually joined a men's group. Long story short, Mark became a seriously devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And all these years later, he's an elder at our North Campus, of all things, 14 years later. And then there's Lucia right over here. There she is. That's my wife holding on to her, Tara. The Shekinah glory coming down on my wife there, you can see. 
Uh, that's me. And see this, this good-looking guy kind of in the middle of the picture with the cross around his neck? That's Mark, the elder. He's got the best-looking abdomen of all of us there. Makes you sick. I've got a two-liter, all right? He's got a six-pack. That's Mark, who I'd met at the gym. He's helping me. Thank you. He's helping me lead the small group now. And this is Lucia, our neighbor, who moved in across the street a few years ago. Jewish. Grew up in synagogue. Married a, a, the executive chef of the Crescent Hotel in downtown Dallas. She and her daughter and her husband move in across the street from us. And, and my wife winds up sharing the gospel with her daughter. Her daughter becomes a follower of Jesus. Lucia begins asking questions. And one day my wife asked Lucia, hey, you want to come to our Christmas candlelight service? And Lucia said, well, I'm Jewish. I happen to be on the front yard. I said, that's okay. I follow one too. And so she came and I gave her a copy of the gospel of Luke, just the gospel of Luke. Didn't even give her the whole Bible, just a copy of the gospel of Luke because we were about to start a series in Luke. And, and I said, here, read Luke. And if you want, you can come to church sometime. Just read the gospel of Luke. I'll be across the street if you want to ask any questions. Well, eventually, uh, the first thing Lucia did, she said, I, I told her about my small group and she came to my small group. Sometimes I slow play, believe it or not, inviting people to Sunday services. And I, I invite them first to my small group. You may, you may think why, because I, I want to do what I can to get them relationally connected to other believers as quickly as possible. Plus, I don't want them to think because of my role that I'm just using them to get them to attend a Sunday service. What's crazy is she and Mark both asked to attend church before I ever asked them because I was more interested first in putting Jesus on the front burner with them. So she comes to church for about six months, and one day she's over at her house across the street because we started to eat dinner together once a week, my wife and I and Charlie and Lucia. We started to eat dinner together once a week, and we're eating dinner together, and she's asking questions, reflecting on the gospel. Charlie's kind of listening. But one day, Charlie's got to work late. My wife's in there cooking on the kitchen island, and I'm standing next to my wife, and just Lucia's in here, and Lucia says, can I ask you a question? And I go, sure. She said, how did Jesus die a second time? I've never been asked that question before. How did Jesus die a second time? She said, yeah, and then she said this. Well, you know, I know the story about Lazarus being raised from the dead, but eventually he died, I guess. Really interesting. I said, yeah, he did die. Well, how did Jesus die a second time? And I said, well, Lucia, he, I haven't taken you through Acts yet, but I take Acts like you take Exodus. You know, Exodus is the Torah, the word of God. I take Acts like you take Exodus. Uh, Acts says that he uh, ascended into the realm of heaven. Well, what do you mean he ascended? Well, he just think like Captain Kirk, you know, in old Star Trek. Just He disappeared from this visible realm and went into the vis invisible realm. She's like, so he didn't die. I went, no. And she leans across the island and she looks both ways. Nobody else in the, in the house but my wife and I. She leans across the island, looks both ways and goes, so he's. Because she's embarrassed. She's embarrassed to say it out loud. And I went, yeah, he's alive. She said, I thought that was just something you Christians said. Like a creed or a pledge of allegiance. You mean you really believe it? I went, yeah, I really do. I mean, I know you run into some of us who live like we don't believe it, but I really, I really believe it. She's like, this is some crazy story. I go, I know it's crazy. 
But that was about six months after that conversation. We baptized Lucia. Would you believe that Lucia is the one that winds up reaching my neighbors that live immediately to the left of me? She started having them into her home and reaching out to them. She was outdoing me. This past Easter, we baptized Shannon, the woman who lives in that house, the wife. And then about six weeks ago, we baptized Ken, her husband, and their daughter. But that was through Lucia. Praise the Lord. And now they're all, we're all in a small group together. Why do I tell you these stories? One began at a golf course, another began at a gym, another began with a neighbor across the street. Don't think this all happened in one week. Sometimes you're hearing a story in about 17 minutes right now. And you think, wow, this happened so fast. No, it didn't. This takes time. This takes time. But I'm telling you, people, you're not going to meet a person who doesn't need Jesus. (laughs) You're not going to meet a person who doesn't need Jesus. And there are people all around us right underneath our nose. I'll leave you with a few takeaways that I've just learned from my time just with with people in my sphere of influence. Uh, The first is this. I just want to remind you, you're the witness. You're not the prosecutor. We're called to be witnesses. It's the Holy Spirit that convicts, John 16, 8 through 11. The Holy Spirit makes the case. You just provide the testimony. You keep testifying. You keep bearing witness. You're not responsibility to make the whole case from A to Z. You be faithful. You be faithful with your time in their lives. You're the witness, not the prosecutor. Secondly, I'd say it is far better to talk to Jesus about the person before you start talking to the person about Jesus. Talk to Jesus about the person before you talk to, start talking to the person about Jesus. Pray for him. Pray for him. Third thing I'd tell you is, is in this world, When we talk about discipling people, tiny beginnings are the parents of magnificent endings. Just think about one tiny beginning you can make. It's the mustard seed idea. Smallest of all your seeds grows into the largest of all garden plants. Matthew 13. Tiny beginnings, magnificent endings. Another thing I'd remind you about, don't let what you don't know keep you from sharing what you do know. A lot of times we get paralyzed. We think, I don't know if I want to start a conversation because I'm going to be asked a question that I can't answer. Join the club. Me too. I go through that too. Like the blind guy that gets healed in John chapter 9, the religious leaders are interrogating him. They ask him, is this guy that healed you a sinner? And and the blind guy says, who's now can see, what does he say? He says, I don't even know if he's a sinner or not. This guy, he doesn't even have that theology down about Jesus. He says, I don't know if Jesus is a sinner or not, but what I do know is this. I once was blind, but now I see. Don't let what you don't know keep you from sharing what you do know. And then finally, I I would just uh, encourage you to, again, remember, you're not in charge of the whole alphabet of somebody's journey from A to Z. Be present, be faithful. Here is... uh, Here is just a list of prayers out of Scripture I occasionally pray over myself, our staff prays, our church. Take a picture of that. These are just, I believe, in praying according to the Word. Praying the will of God is revealed in the Word. And just watch stuff happen. 
in these categories when you start praying these things. Let me put up another one real quick. These are just some just conversations I have found helpful when I'm trying to take a conversation deeper with people. If we're going deeper in conversation, I, I'm telling you that this stuff, it is amazing how many people will answer this question on an airplane or a neighbor you're building a relationship with, somebody you're working out with, somebody you play golf with, somebody you do a hobby with, somebody you go hunting with, somebody you play bunko with, just building a relationship. People will answer these kinds of questions and it opens a door to a deeper conversation. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Up next, you'll be hearing from our point leader, Bobby Harrington, in a special episode for Christmas morning. Make sure you tune in to hear that special message and you can hit the subscribe button now to make it easier for yourself to remember to listen to it on Christmas day. All right, y'all, enjoy this week with your family. Don't let the hustle and bustle of this Christmas season get in the way of you having the chance to rest in the story of the birth of our King and Messiah, Jesus. God bless you and God bless your family. Bye.